welcome. My name is Alessandra Carden, and you're listening to The Alessandra Carden Show. On this podcast, we explore nutrition, holistic health, personal development, and more. It's my mission to give you the information, inspiration, tips, and tools that you need to optimize your energy, health, and happiness. I'm here to help you thrive. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is part two of my conversation with holistic nutritionist Julia Marcuzzi. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I highly recommend checking it out. As a little recap, Julia is a nutritionist who specialized in plant-based nutrition. She's from Toronto and has moved to Byron Bay, Australia, where she runs her private nutritional consulting and plant-based coaching practice. We recorded a two-part conversation where we discuss answers to some of the top questions that people have about the plant-based diet. In part one, we discuss the benefits of going plant-based, what you can eat on a plant-based diet, how to ensure optimal digestion on a plant-based diet, whether or not we should be consuming lectins and phytoestrogens, how to find credible nutrition research, and so much more. Again, I highly recommend checking it out if you haven't already. In this part of the conversation, we dive even deeper into the science behind the plant-based diet. We chat about the health risks associated with meat, dairy, and egg consumption, We discuss the big question, where do you get your protein? We also talk about macronutrient breakdowns, supplements, key nutrients, and so much more. Julia even shares her favorite plant-based alternatives for egg and dairy products, and you'll hear some amazing tips for how to eat at restaurants and how to save money on your grocery bill. This is a must-listen-to episode if you're interested in going plant-based, or if you're already plant-based and want to gain a more thorough understanding of the science behind the plant-based diet. It's so empowering to have this knowledge of nutrition science so that you can make informed decisions about what you're eating every single day. Julia is a good friend of mine. She's so much fun to chat with, and I'm so grateful that she took the time to record this wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did, Here it is, part two of my conversation with Julia. Julia, welcome back. I'm so excited for this second half of the conversation. We had so much fun last time recording. So yeah, I'm excited to get back into it. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back, Ali. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we'll start off this half of the conversation with the question, what's wrong with eating a bit of meat? if I eat a predominantly whole food plant-based diet and what's even wrong with meat? Yeah, um, that's such a good question. I feel like that's a really common question also because when switching over, um, yeah, you just wonder, is it detrimental to health if you keep meat in your diet in a smaller amount? So I'm happy you asked that. Um, I like to, so instead of looking at a food as good or bad, I always like to look at it as a scale. So what is this specific food's health benefits 
versus its health risks. And we know with meat that the majority of scientific research states that we receive many more health risks than health benefits. And with plants, it's the opposite. So we receive the most health benefits from whole plants and minimal health risks, if any. So when we think about it that way, um, yeah, just thinking about what we're choosing to feed our bodies based on the risks versus benefits and why we would still want to include a little bit of meat. So, I mean, one reason might be people might think there's perhaps potential nutrients in meat that we can't get from plants. And maybe that would be a reason to include it in smaller amounts in case it is beneficial to health, despite the overall health risks. But science has taught us that lucky for us plant-based people, that plants actually can give us all of the nutrients we need. So every nutrient that animals have actually originates in plants. And the media has kind of communicated or cast a little bit of doubt on this. Um, And tell me if you agree. For example, people often associate iron with red meat or protein with chicken and eggs and omega-3s from fish. But all of these are actually available in plants along with all other nutrients that we need. And in addition to this, plants are the source. So the animals eat the plants and then they build these nutrients in their body from that. So yeah, before getting into whether eating a little bit is okay, I just kind of like to like take a step back and look at the big picture, if that made sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I love what you said about looking at the health benefits and risks of different foods. Yeah, I remember when I did my plant-based certification, there was a lecture by Dr. Campbell, and he pretty much said the same thing. He talked about homeostasis and how our bodies are like biocomputers always trying to bring us back into balance. And if we look at plant-based foods, they're rich in antioxidants Mm -hmm. and they're anti-inflammatory, they're alkaline forming versus animal foods are, like you said, the complete opposite. They're pro-inflammatory. So yeah, it's really cool to look at it like that. And like you said, we we can get all of the nutrients we need from plant-based sources. So why not choose the ones that bring us closer to optimal health? Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like it's our choice. So we have the information and then we can choose, do we wish to get our nutrients from plants with minimal health risks and maximum benefits for feeling amazing and living a long, healthy life? Or we can choose to get these same nutrients from animals But along with that comes maximum health risk and then very minimal benefits. So from a health perspective, the choice is really clear on, yeah, on what foods we would eat to be healthy. And I guess in terms of eating a really small amount in our diets, I have heard from a few reputable sources um, like doctors and scientists who go through all of the research and yeah, just have a have a big grasp on the big picture in the body of research that keeping animal products in a tiny amount, which means 5% or less, which really is like 
a little, little amount, much less than we would think. Um, this may not have negative health impacts, but I see, I guess I have a few concerns with this idea more from a practical perspective. So first of all, what is 5%? Um, the number would be really hard to determine, especially because everybody's eating so differently. Everybody has a different activity level, body weight, macronutrient balance. So it can be really tricky to establish what 5% would be. And I feel like if somebody's working so hard to eat in a way that's promoting their health, it would be really easy to accidentally sabotage a really like genuine attempt at being healthy. And another hesitation I have is kind of planning to keep a little bit in, in a way I think would be holding yourself back. So why not strive to be your greatest and healthiest self? Why not give yourself the greatest chance at health? And um, yeah, keeping them in our diet, even in a, even in tiny amounts, the hormones, the animal fats, the proteins, they all remain in our system. And I know we talked about this a little bit in the last, or a lot actually in the last episode, but the foods we eat feed different bacteria in our gut microbiome. So continuing to eat these animal products, even in minimal amounts, would continue to feed these bacteria. And it kind of just makes it a lot harder for us to fully get rid of the craving for them, which again is almost undermining yourself in a way. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel like when you're keeping those animal products in, oh, first of all, what you said about not even knowing what 5% is, that mm-hmm. that's so true. And it's kind of difficult to judge. And then also, like you said, it can just sort of trigger cravings. Um, and you can sort of slide back into the opposite direction. Um, but that being said, I find that when you add more plant-based foods into your diet, I've noticed this with clients, friends, people telling me about their plant-based journey, mm-hmm. you end up gravitating towards a more plant-based diet anyway. And you're, we talked about this in the last the, the crowding um, part out. of this conversation too. <laughs> yeah. I loved that. Yeah. You, your taste buds actually change anyway. So oh, I feel like you don't really have to worry that much. And then back to what you said about the 5% we mentioned in the last episode, the blue zones, the China study. And then I wanted to bring up another one, the Adventist study. Yeah, um, I read about that. They too, like all of the studies showed a progressive linear relationship. The more plant-based you are, the less chance you have for so many of these chronic diseases. And mm-hmm. that study was so interesting too, because they broke it down into, are you vegan? Are you lacto-ovo-vegetarian, pescatarian, non-vegetarian? Um, so yeah, it's it's really cool just to see that relationship. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it is really encouraging to see that the health benefits come at all the different stages. So it's not like an all or nothing thing and any small changes you make. So the more plants you eat, the more benefits you see, which is super encouraging. Um, even just starting off and taking baby steps, you'll start to feel better. And then, yeah, you'll just progressively get to a point where, like you said, your taste buds change, your body craves different things. Um, so yeah, I guess I always recommend to aim to be your healthiest self and to eat the healthiest diet. But if 
you have to do that in little tiny steps. And if you have, if you're taking your time, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If, you know, if a little bit of sharing a little bit of cheese with your Nona will keep you on track, Mm -hmm. then overall it's benefiting your health. So just be gentle with yourself, but also I think hold yourself to the highest standard because you deserve it. Oh yeah. I love that. Yeah. You deserve it. You're so worthy of being your healthiest self, but at the same time, yeah. Honor the journey and Mm -hmm. yeah, just trust you'll you'll get there. Yeah. Um, And one more thing I found, at least with my personal journey, because I was keeping in a little bit of cheese every now and then. And I found that as soon as I fully kind of let my body cleanse out the animal products, the animal flesh and secretions, that I, it was only then that I was able to kind of see animals in, in a new way, not just as food and could kind of develop a new, a new view of them and see them in a new light. So I think, of course, that's not health related, but that was something that I really loved and really enjoyed experiencing on my journey. And I think that that can only happen when we've let all of the animal products leave our body because they carry an energy with them, the energy of the animal's experience and the hormones as well, the stress hormones that are released before slaughter. So whether we believe in energies or not, um, yeah, the experience that that animal has gone through to become our food is transferred to us and we're consuming it it's integrating into our tissues and affecting us on so many levels definitely yeah it goes even further beyond health but at the same time I guess it is sort of related to your health because having that compassion piece it makes you feel good and yeah so true uh, feeling good mentally emotionally physically it's all related to holistic health I guess you could say all connected yes (laughs) Definitely so connected. And then the next question is sort of related to the first one as well. Mm -hmm. Is organic and free range meat okay to eat? Um, Okay, that's a really good question too, because I feel like taking a step in that direction is definitely, definitely a good step. And people are doing it for their health or because they really do care about the environmental aspects or the animal aspects of of what we eat. So first of all, I just want to say that it is admirable. But unfortunately, the health risks that are associated with eating meat, so an increased risk of heart disease, certain types of cancer, autoimmune disease, type 2 diabetes, and so many other lifestyle and chronic illnesses – they don't go away when we improve our source of meat. And the reason that they don't go away is because these risks aren't associated with the way that the animal is brought up or what the animal eats, but they're actually caused by the composition of the animal flesh or the animal secretion, so dairy itself. And by that, I guess I mean the animal fat, the animal protein, the heme iron, and of course, the animal hormones that meat and dairy as well contain. So those are the foundational elements that make an animal what it is. And that's what we're eating. So unfortunately, for those who are trying to improve their health by choosing organic, you're not going to be seeing great benefits. Um, 
with that being said, of course, animals who are raised organically aren't eating genetically modified corn. So that is a little benefit, a little step in the right direction. And they also won't be injected with any exogenous growth hormones, which farmers feed them to, I guess, help them grow bigger, faster. But yeah, like I said, animals are full of animal hormones, just like we're full of human hormones. So we still will be eating all of the same components, just with those two tiny benefits that I mentioned. And back to the whole health scale, eating organic definitely doesn't tip the scale into the positive or healthy direction. It, I would say it barely tips it at all. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. I find in the nutrition space, there's just such an emphasis on macronutrients and micronutrients, and that's it. But Mm -hmm. what about the other properties of these foods, right? Like, yeah, we have to look beyond just the macros and micros and see, is it tipping us in this direction of optimal health or taking us away from optimal health? Absolutely. It's like every bite that you take is either taking you in the direction of health or taking you in the direction of disease. And any one thing you eat on any given day obviously won't have the biggest impact, but everything adds up over the days and weeks and years. And we really determine our own our own futures and we have so much control over it just yeah, just by what we eat and doing a little bit of research and being mindful. Um, and the other thing I just would love to mention about choosing organic or free range meat is that I think it is it is really admirable admirable sorry that people they do care about the animal's life and perhaps they believe that they do need meat for the reasons we mentioned before like the iron or the protein even though of course we know that that's not necessary as it comes from plants but I just want to say that I think it is really admirable that people are taking caring steps and it definitely is a step in the right direction. I think if you are wanting to choose these sources for ethical reasons, I would just recommend to research a little bit beyond just the label that you see in the grocery store. Um, Yeah, just a quick Google of the business, maybe call the farm or even better, if it's a local farm, ask if you can stop by. Because unfortunately, um, we know with marketing, they can, they can paint a very different picture than what these animals' realities are. So yeah, just do your research and keep your research going further. You obviously are having a compassionate connection and a loving connection with the animal. So go beyond even just trying to eat ethical meat. And I'm sure with that little spark of love that you have, you will keep stepping in the direction of compassionate eating. Yeah, definitely. It's all a journey with what you eat. And then yeah, that compassion journey as well. And it's so true about the labels, we have to be really careful about that. Because Mm -hmm. yeah, often, you don't really know exactly what a certain label means. So it's, it's a really good idea to be a little curious, like you said, do your research. Yeah, I love that. Be curious. That's so good. (laughs) That's what set us on our journeys, right? Being curious. Oh, yes. I ask so many questions. I'm the person who's always like, but why? But why? But what does this mean? (laughs) Oh, me too. Too many. And then I get into very large research holes, (laughs) you know, like the YouTube Google hole. (laughs) Yeah, it's the best. 
But anyway, um, so we spoke a lot about meat. We'll definitely be talking more about meat, but <laughs> let's shift the conversation to focus on dairy. Okay. So another question often asked, why should I avoid dairy? Okay. So dairy, the first thing that jumps out at me is the hormones in dairy. So there's a big health risk associated with the sex hormones that dairy contains. And when we think about it, a female cow can only produce milk after she has a baby. So naturally, milk contains hormones. It's full of hormones. And these are particularly female sex hormones, including estrogen. And estrogen is actually concentrated even further in cheese and butter. I believe it's five times stronger or more concentrated in cheese and 10 times more concentrated in butter, which are just interesting statistics to kind of think about, especially because estrogen is really commonly talked about and it's a concern for women these days and men as well. And there actually was a really interesting study that we didn't get to talk about in the last podcast, but I thought it would be really interesting to bring up now. So we know that there's obviously hormones in dairy, but do they affect how do they affect our bodies? Do they increase our natural hormones? And this one particular study found that yes, they absolutely do. So the study showed that within only hours, so they started recording after one hour and carried on. So within hours of drinking two cups of milk, baseline hormone levels tripled or quadrupled in a group of school-aged children. And I found that to just be so clear and to really show the immediate effect that drinking dairy, especially because milk is obviously the media paints it to be such a healthy food. And we always are told that kids need it to grow big and strong. But yeah, I found that study to just paint a really clear and scary picture of the the impact that dairy can have. And that study was in a journal called Pediatrics International, if anybody's interested. And then, oh yeah, well, definitely have to link that. Yeah, can check it out. Yeah, it um, yeah, it was pretty eye opening because obviously we hear these things, but I feel like when we see a direct link and can understand it in terms of real life, it has a it has a bigger impact on us, and we really realize that these foods are affecting us right now, not just in the future. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, it's not good for our hormones to our hormone levels to be affected by these external hormones. But what like what exactly could this lead to? Yes, totally. You are we are on the same, same train of thought. Um, So because I was just about to say, so the elevated hormone levels are linked to certain types of cancer, specifically endometrial and breast cancer. And they're affected by higher estrogen levels in the body. And longitudinal research has consistently shown that women who do consume more dairy have an increased risk for endometrial cancer and with breast cancer. Just from what I found, and let me know if you found anything different, but I think a little bit more research needs to be done to establish causation, but there's definitely correlation and just based on kind of the big picture and what we know, I think that a strong causative link will definitely be shown soon. 
And also just like, why take the risk? Yeah, right? yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've seen that too. I've seen some studies that say like, oh, there needs to be more research. But mm-hmm. just the fact that it's been shown to for sure cause endometrial cancer. And then some people are right. saying it does cause breast cancer. And some people are saying there's more research. Like you said, like, why, why even take the risk if we see there's a study yeah. that it for sure elevates sex hormones and right. yeah exactly. I, I think that's a good point just like why take the risk mm-hmm. I think why take the risk until it's proven to be safe like until without a doubt it's proven to be safe then why take the risk when there's also so many other issues with it in addition to just potentially increasing risk of cancer yeah yeah true and when there's also so many delicious alternatives that actually have beneficial health outcomes so yeah <laughs> oh yeah what what are your favorite what are your favorite dairy alternatives oh oh my goodness okay so <laughs> yeah I love making my own plant milks um I think okay I get very passionate about this because so many friends and family members tell me that they don't enjoy the taste of almond milk or oat milk or coconut or whichever variety they've tried and the different I guess qualities of plant milk can make such a difference so the kind that you buy in the store that's on the shelf so it's not refrigerated um it's what I guess it's called long life milk those ones are often full of stabilizers and gums and oils and they it tastes like it so they just yeah they don't taste very nice I guess if you're blending it in a smoothie even me, I, I feel like I would, I just don't blend it in smoothies. I'd rather use water. So if somebody has only tried those ones, of course, you're going to want to still drink cow's milk. But as soon as you try a really pure either brand or you make your own plant milk, it's like a whole new world. It's so delicious. It's so light and creamy and it truly tastes like whatever nut or grain you've used to make it. So almond milk is one of my favorites. I just find it super light and it can be quite inexpensive to make too and super easy. So you just soak one cup of almonds for around eight hours and then rinse them really, really well. And this helps with digestion as well. And then all you do is blend them with, I usually do four cups of water because I like it a little bit lighter and you get a little bit more out of it. And you blend it, you could either drink it like that in smoothies, I recommend not straining because you get that extra fiber. But if you're using it for coffee or tea, or you just want a nice glass of milk with like a little vegan cookie, then you strain it and it's just, oh my gosh, I want some right now. Sounds so good. (laughs) Yeah, it's so good. Actually, my aunt and uncle came over one day and we're talking about how they didn't like almond milk and how it's so bitter and I had just made some so I was like okay just I'll be right back and I brought over two little shot glasses and they tried it and they loved it they were like wow it tastes nothing like the kind we've tried and really anyone can make it there's so many varieties too you can you can use hemp seeds and then you're getting a nice protein hit as well you can make oat milk which is also really easy and if you're not free coconut milk is I haven't, I've made it once years ago and I remember it being so delicious, but it's just a bit trickier to get your hands on fresh coconut meat. (laughs) But yeah, it's, Uh, I love it. 
And then I have to say my favorite dairy-free ice cream in Canada is Coconut Bliss. Have you tried it? Oh, yeah, I've had that. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, it's like a vegan junk food. It's a healthier junk food because the ingredients are pretty pure, but it does have obviously sugar in it. Um, so not technically a whole food, but it is so delicious. So good. Yeah. And you can yeah. always make banana ice cream. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's actually, I prefer that to any like store-bought ice cream. Totally. How could I forget? <laughs> Do you have any favorite combinations you make in your nice cream? Or just are you a pure banana girl? <laughs> oh, I do love the pure banana ice cream. But um, growing up, my favorite was chocolate mint. So Ooh. yeah, the other day I made one with fresh mint leaves from the garden and oh just like God. a few cacao nibs. And Delicious. it honestly, it tasted so good. But yeah, I love... There's so many different options. I love mm-hmm. doing like a nut butter swirl one. So just putting whatever nut butter. I like hazelnut butter. It's so yeah. good. It tastes so gourmet. And then you can put, yeah, some cacao nibs in that if you want sort of chocolate hazelnut. Also just it's adding a bit of fruit, just like a few pieces of mango or cherries, making it a fruity one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? Um, yeah. Everything you mentioned. <laughs> My favorite, <laughs> time favorite is raw almond butter which tastes a little bit sweeter than roasted and then maca powder I just love that combination so much but um I actually can't find raw almond butter in Australia so every time I come home I just like go crazy on it (laughs) yeah it's it tastes a lot different like they're both amazing but yeah I definitely recommend people try them both because it's really interesting to have that option Mm-hmm. And you know what I love also, I can't believe I forgot it, but luckily you mentioned it, but I love how easy it is to make too. Like anyone can make it. You just freeze bananas and then blend them with maybe a little touch of plant milk or even a touch of water. And it's just, it's so delicious. It's, it's truly a dessert that I think anyone would and love. Also, if you don't even have a blender, I did this once because I was lazy, but (laughs) you can just let them thaw a tiny bit and then mash them with a fork. Obviously, it won't be as smooth, but it it just tastes amazing. So yummy. Yeah. 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 And then- Um, What about cheese alternatives though? Because that's a huge thing. A lot of people, it seems like cheese is the thing. They just can't give up. So just wondering what your favorite cheese alternatives are. I love- um, I love nut-based cheeses. So there's so many really yummy brands coming out in the past couple of years. So we're really lucky. But um, one of my favorite nut cheeses in Canada is called Nuts for Cheese, <laughs> which is really cute. And the owner- That's my favorite too. Yeah, so so sweet as well. She used to do the markets in London and she was such a sweetheart. So yeah, if you're listening and you haven't tried vegan cheese that you think is tasty yet you must try nuts for cheese and I promise you your mind will be changed it's so delicious so creamy so many different varieties it 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 satisfies you like it fills that cheese craving for sure Mm -hmm. so good and I believe they actually ferment the cashew milk right yeah they make it in the healthiest way so that it's easier to digest and easier for your body to absorb and has the probiotics. Yeah, I love them. 
Do you ever make your own? I have. I've not often because I'm a little bit lazy because we're spoiled with so many options. Even in Byron, there's quite a few yummy options. Nothing like nuts for cheese though. But um, yeah, I my sister and I made a almond and cashew like buffalo mozzarella. And we used agar agar as the binder, which is, I believe, a type of seaweed. So it was such a simple recipe. So few ingredients, I believe just the nuts and then the agar agar, a little bit of salt and maybe a few herbs. And yeah, it's set in the fridge and it was it was so delicious. We served it to our family at, at the holidays and everybody loved it with a little bit of with some heirloom tomatoes and then a little drizzle of balsamic. It was so yummy. Mm, that sounds amazing. Have you have you uh, oh and also I'm um I so I've never made fermented cheese, but I love nutritional yeast so much. So I'll often, <laughs> often use that. Or I'll make cashew cheese that's simply just soaked cashews blended with nutritional yeast. And yeah, it's so good. Yeah, totally. And I love making cheese sauce for macaroni and cheese, which I make with like root vegetables. So carrot, sweet potato. And then onion and garlic, nutritional yeast, cashews. It is, it's so yummy. There's oh, so yeah, and then it's fun because it's, it's orange. It's orange, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it looks like mashed Yeah, because it's like, yeah, it's yeah. perfect. So many alternatives. Yeah, all the cheese lovers, don't worry. You got your fix. <laughs> yeah, don't even worry. <laughs> um, but going back to the... The more of the nutrition science we're talking about in terms of cheese, we talked about women's health. I wanted to talk about men's health a bit and IGF-1 growth hormone, which you, of course, know is it's a hormone with a similar structure to insulin and it's Mm -hmm. a cell growth promoter, which is important during childhood because it helps with brain development, muscle and bone growth. But in adults, high IGF-1 has been linked to accelerated aging and accelerated cancer growth. And so, yeah, I've seen a lot of studies that link this high elevated circulating IGF-1 with prostate cancer. Right. Um, So yeah, yeah, have you, I'm sure you've read lots of research about that too. Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah, the IGF-1 is definitely a concern. And the other sex hormones mentioned, and then like you said, the effect that that has on aging and potential increased risk of cancer. So you're right, it's definitely a health risk for not only women, but men as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And IGF-1 is elevated from animal protein in general. So this applies to meat, like we were just talking about Mm -hmm. as well. And then I know also in terms of cancer risk, the casein protein, I know Dr. Campbell talks about a lot he did some studies on this and yeah so casein itself appeared to be a cancer cell promoter so that's yeah just something to be really mindful of the risk for cancer and I know there are two really large uh, meta-analysis that showed there is this link between IGF-1 and prostate cancer so Mm -hmm. and just going for the the cashew cheese will help so much just to prevent, even if you're not struggling with chronic disease, just having that preventative outlook on your health is the way to go. Because why wait until exactly you're like something is happening, right? 
with your health. I just think it's always good to have that preventative approach. Yeah. Tip the scales in your favor. And then, you know, you've done everything you can to prevent and to live your healthiest life. And I wanted to mention as well, another risk factor associated with dairy is the high saturated fat content and how that's linked to insulin resistance, which can lead to type 2 diabetes. And then high saturated fat also damages the endothelial cells, which are like our little life jackets for our blood vessels. And then that can cause heart disease. So yeah, it's really, there's just so many connections to various diseases that we really don't need that in our bodies. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned insulin resistance, uh, mm-hmm. that you probably read this book, um, Mastering Diabetes. It's, I, yeah, I love them. Yeah, if you don't have diabetes, honestly, read this book anyway, if you want to learn about blood sugar, it's, it's so interesting. Um, and then another one of my favorite nutrition books, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease by Dr. Esselstyn. So mm-hmm. yeah, if you want to learn more about saturated fat, the connection between that and heart disease and just for your health in general. Um, that's a really good resource. I love those two books. Yeah. So great. There's also, I actually discovered mastering diabetes, um, Cyrus and Robbie on a podcast and yeah, I had never, I guess, deeply looked into diabetes because I, it doesn't affect me. But once I started to learn more about it, I became so fascinated Um, so yeah, I definitely recommend that everybody either reads the book or yeah, check them out. They're on so many podcasts. If you just search mastering diabetes, they'll pop up everywhere and they're really fun to listen to. Also, they're like very down to earth and also super knowledgeable. Oh yeah. You, you definitely listen to them on plant proof, right? Yeah, totally. (laughs) And I listened to, I think Dr. Esselstyn on plant proof as well. Yeah, we'll have to link those episodes too. I listened to the them on Plant Proof. It was it was a really good episode. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I think we had the same experience. Like we don't have diabetes. I one friend, one of my friends does have type one diabetes. So mm-hmm. I really wanted to look into it more to help her to see if I could offer any research that would help her kind of navigate this whole nutrition world. Right. And yeah, I was mind blown, and I was grateful that I did look into it because like I said, even, even if diabetes is not on your mind, you'll learn so much just about nutrition, about carbohydrates, fats. Um, It's it's so fascinating. And I love how they kind of, Mm. they rework the whole dialogue around fruit and they really promote the truth behind how healthy fruit is. And yeah, just that it's, it's such a health food and the stigma associated with it in terms of being really high in sugar and being a carb, which is bad, is just so false. Um, and they're living proof of it, of course. They eat the way they eat has been proven through the various tests and blood insulin um, tracking that they've done to have shown amazing results. So I love that they talk about the science behind it, but then they also prove it through their lived experiences and through all of their clients as well, which is so cool. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, and we'll dive into carbohydrates a bit more later in this conversation yes, for sure. I had a so feeling you were going to in mind. Can I, can I mention one, yeah. one more thing about what I believe is very wrong with dairy as well? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so obviously we mentioned the negative health outcomes, but in terms of in terms of love, it is probably one of the saddest industries, even worse than the meat industry, and it's kind of it's hard to imagine because you think that well at least the cow isn't being killed, they're just being milked and they get to live a nice long life. But the reality of it is really sad. I won't get too much into it because like we said last time, we like to focus on the positives. But um, yeah, essentially, the dairy cow has to be impregnated. And then she's an emotional and a feeling being who has a deep connection to her baby, just like a human does. And that baby is taken away almost immediately. Um, There's videos and stories of countless dairy cows who wait at the exact spot that their baby was taken away, just crying and crying for days, wanting him to him or her to come back. And it's just heartbreaking. It's a process that I just don't know why it has to happen when, when we don't need milk, it's, it's harming us. And there's, yeah, it just makes me really sad. So if you aren't super familiar with the life of a dairy cow, just search that on Google and you'll see, you'll just learn a little bit more about what it actually takes to have that cup of milk or scoop of ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> I just had to say that for our sweet little cow friends. Yeah, and just like we were talking about in terms of organic meat, uh, often the marketing um, will be misleading. You know, you go to a store and you see like a happy dairy cow on a big farm with lots exactly. of sunshine. Yeah. And often it's not the case. So like we said, just getting curious and getting more connected with your food source, asking like, where exactly does this come from? What are, yeah, what are all the processes like on the farm? Yeah, I definitely think it's important to have that awareness. Exactly. Stay curious and you'll eventually, um, yeah, figure out what feels right for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, oh, and like you said, we, we don't even need dairy nutritionally. And if you take a step back, it's it's kind of confusing. Like, why are we even doing all of this? I think that often, um, like as humans, it's like we just grow up with these patterns, these systems already put in place, you know, and totally. you kind of just have to take a step back and question why are we doing this? I think often we're just used to it. You know, like I grew up drinking milk. No one ever mm-hmm. told me about this, but me too. when I learned about it, took a step back, educated myself, you know, it's like, oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't really realize this. So yeah, I think it's just important to, yeah, like we said, get curious. Exactly. Yeah. I grew up, oh my gosh, I used to drink so much milk. I would just chug glasses of milk. Like I loved it, but it's okay. Cause we didn't know. And yeah, and now we've we got curious and here we are. So <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, definitely good to look into that, educate yourself. And so that is a whole lot on dairy. <laughs> yes. Next, let's we have a lot to say about dairy. About eggs. Okay. Next is yeah, why should I avoid eggs? Okay, I feel like so many clients and even family and friends are pretty open to giving up even cheese and meat. But then with eggs, I feel like they're perceived as this health food. And 
they're like, no, I have to keep eggs in. Like I just, eggs are healthy. But again, I feel like it is kind of the media and what we grew up with that has created this perception of eggs being a perfect protein source and being a health food. But really, it's quite the opposite. Um, Many of the health risks are similar to the ones we talked about in our little dairy chat. But so eggs are the product of ovulation. So a hen ovulates and then an egg is produced. And of course, it makes sense that they are full of hormones. And I actually read something recently that said that we consume as a population, Western population, we consume a similar amount of hormones from eggs as we do from all meat combined. And I guess that would be because Yeah, I guess the hormone content is so condensed in eggs that it really, you know, even though you might think of it as less harmful than meat or or just, you know, like smaller or whatever, it still is having quite a big effect. Um, So, of course, we mentioned that hormones are linked to various types of cancer in both men and women. And then also a risk... (laughs) Butter is biting me right, nibbling me right now. So he agrees. He's passionate about eggs not being healthy. He's like, yes, don't eat eggs. <laughs> and for anyone listening, butter, no, it's not butter that's nibbling me. It's my, he's my bunny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I feel like this might, if you didn't, if you didn't listen to the last conversation, we introduced Butter, Julia's pet bunny. And I guess it could be kind of confusing because his name is Butter. No, we're not talking about dairy butter. We're talking about the bunny. <laughs> yeah, he's the only Just butter. to clear that up. <laughs> he's the only Butter in my life. <laughs> um, so another issue with eggs is the way that they affect our microbiome. So as I mentioned, the different foods we eat feed different bacteria And some bacteria produce really beneficial um, byproducts, which promote health. And then other bacteria produce, I guess, dangerous or damaging byproducts. And eggs feed bacteria that produce byproducts associated with health risks. So specifically, it's choline in eggs. Bacteria convert it to TMA which then converts it to TMAO. And this chemical called TMAO has been known for quite a while in the research to be very damaging to the arteries and having a strong connection to heart disease, which is the number one killer worldwide. So eggs, not healthy for the heart. And then they also feed bacteria, which produce nitrosamines, which are known to be carcinogenic and can lead to an increased risk of colon cancer. So hormones aside, they actually directly create very risky byproducts for our health. Yeah, TMAO, definitely. I've seen that a lot of people talk about how it's linked to inflammation. And then I also saw another reason why they cause inflammation on Dr. Greger's website. He has some videos on arachidonic acid, which our bodies use to trigger inflammation. Mm-hmm. And so our bodies make enough of this fatty acid and we don't need to consume extra, but right. animal foods are high in this fatty acid. And yeah, the highest sources are chicken and eggs. Eggs are definitely 
up there and yeah, it can cause inflammation of the brain and lead to mental health issues and it can play a role in cancer, asthma, arthritis. So yeah. So interesting too, that it's rich, that compound is richest in eggs and chicken because those are often thought to be the healthier animal-based options. But again, I guess it's just kind of marketing Mm. and common perception. And again, we just have to get curious. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, the body makes enough of it. Another substance the body makes enough of is cholesterol. So we make all the cholesterol we need. And yeah, eggs are rich, rich, rich in cholesterol, which have implications with heart disease. So that's just one more reason why we definitely don't need them in our diet. We can get our protein from hundreds of different plants. There's there's no need, no need to take the risks. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm so glad you mentioned cholesterol. Of course, they're so high in cholesterol. But what's interesting too about eggs is some people will say, oh, but I'm not, I'm just having egg whites mm-hmm. and the yolk is where the cholesterol is. But then if you're having just the whites, the whites are the animal protein and which we just talked about animal protein increases IGF-1 growth hormone. So they're kind of a lose-lose situation. <laughs> yeah, there's it's it's not a health food. You can just ditch it and yeah. do a nice tofu scramble. Tofu has so much protein in oh, it. Yes, let's talk about, this is great. Let's talk about the alternatives for eggs. Like we talked yeah. about for dairy. Yeah, yeah so totally. tofu scramble. That's tofu awesome scramble. Idea. So yeah. I, I, we mentioned last time, but I'm such a smoothie girl in the morning. Like I rarely have a hot breakfast, but my boyfriend loves tofu scramble. My dad also loves it. And the, the, um, vegan filter that you made on Instagram, remember my dad tried it and he got to what vegan food are you? And he got tofu scramble and was so excited. (laughs) Oh yeah, everyone, you have to try my vegan filter. I made a a filter for Instagram, which vegan food are you? Yeah, when your dad did it, that that just made me so happy. It's so funny. I'm pretty sure it's favorited in the highlights of my stories. So you can actually go see what we're talking about. You have to try it. Pause the podcast and try it right now. It's so fun. (laughs) And then tag Ali and me in it. So we can see. And it's very please tag us because that's the thing. So many people are using this filter, but I can't see who's using it. Um unless they tag me. So please tag me because it's just so fun. I wanna see. (laughs) I'm gonna do it again and see what I get. I'll make Adam do it as well. But um yeah, so tofu scramble is such a delicious option for scrambled eggs. Alternative, sorry, for scrambled eggs. And I usually flavor it with a little bit of tamari and then some garlic and onions if you'd like. And honestly, whatever veggies you have on hand, I love using, I love shredding carrots with like a grater. Um, Peppers are really nice in there. Anything you can, you can add anything. Some greens, of course, always loaded up on the greens. Um, I actually tried, let me know if you've tried this, but have you heard of black salt? No. Okay. What's so that? It's also like it can also be called Indian black salt. Um, but it is a salt that's really high in sulfur. So I guess that's the component that gives eggs that really eggy taste. And I've I had been reading about it a lot and had been just really curious to try it. So I made a tofu scramble with black salt and <laughs> it tasted so eggy that I couldn't even eat it. 
because I don't really miss oh, the- yeah I don't miss it so funny so I was like okay I don't think I'm gonna ever miss this again but if somebody loves eggs it's such a great a great thing to try because you can have the taste and just have all the the health benefits that is so funny you said that because I've had that experience I've been to so many different vegetarian food festivals and I'll try the meat or egg substitutes and they taste just like meat or eggs and then I realized I don't even like meat and (laughs) eggs anymore so I actually don't like this (laughs) but they're so they're such good alternatives such good alternatives and especially because there are a lot more whole food alternatives now so it's it's really exciting because it I feel it encourages more people to to try shifting. Sorry, I'm laughing because Butter just did the biggest jump. I'm so cute. <laughs> I'm excited about <laughs> alternatives for everybody. But yeah, so um, <laughs> tofu is definitely a nice egg replacement. I've also tried to make an omelet with chickpea flour, which I haven't mastered yet, but just Google. I mean, I've seen I've seen recipes that look so oh, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, you've tried it. You should post a recipe. I'd love to try one. Yeah, I'll post one. Maybe I'll make a blog of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'd say I'd say those are two things that jump to mind. Also, what I love, because I feel like when you want eggs for breakfast, it's kind of like that really kind of comfort food. It's savory. Um, but I've also just done a chickpea scramble instead of tofu. So in the same way, you season it with the same the same spices and herbs, and you add in veggies, and it gives you that really satisfying, warming breakfast feel that you're after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't tried it, but you can also do it with mung beans. I've seen oh, blogs yum. that use mung beans. They're very like very neutral taste, so you can just add the spices. And that's a good point too. Often, uh, meat, eggs whatever dish you're making with them mm-hmm. often it's actually just the spices exactly. that really add the flavor so it's kind of funny it's like do we really need to add spices to yeah this meat animal product or can we, we can just use plant-based alternatives but still add all those rich flavors totally I, I actually I don't remember what but I either watched a little YouTube video or read an article recently by a vegan chef who was talking about that and saying that the the animal is actually just the carrier and the taste is in the veggies so the taste comes in the herbs and the spite the dried spices mm-hmm. the fresh herbs so it's it's so interesting it really is just about experimenting i guess a few cooking skills are needed but um yeah you can really make anything taste so delicious and you can match textures really easily too. I recently made, we're getting off topic, but I want to tell you this. I recently made a watermelon sashimi. So it was like the exact consistency of raw salmon. And it was oh, wow. it was crazy. Yeah, it was kind of a new recipe I tried. But you pretty much just cut up the watermelon and then bake it. And you have marinated it before in these beautiful Asian inspired dressing and yeah it was it was so it was so interesting but again I don't think I really like salmon so I was like maybe a little bit weirded out but it was fun (laughs) 
<laughs> I used to love salmon. Sushi so was my favorite food, but now it's the veggie sushi is the best. <laughs> but yes, you can recreate. Yeah. Um, oh, and then one more thing on egg substitutes before we move on. There's flax eggs and chia eggs if you yes. need a binding agent for, for baking. Yeah, such a good point. And so easy to make as well. Like, yeah. Literally, you whip it up in 10 seconds. Oh, yeah. You just add some water to ground chia or flax. It doesn't even have to be ground chia. It can just be whole chia, too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so easy. Yeah, exactly. And then that acts as the binder. In I use it a lot in, like, cookie recipes or if I'm making a raw cheesecake. um, Instead of using coconut oil, which I used to use, I just add in chia seeds now because they're such a great binder. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And so this brings us to the big question. Where <laughs> do one. you get your protein? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Where do I get my protein, Ali? <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> so like we've mentioned, all protein, all nutrients originate in plants. So animals who are big and strong they have attained all of their protein from plant sources. So with cows, that's grass. Um, Even with gorillas and elephants, they get their protein from plant sources. Every plant source has protein. I guess we'll, we'll take a step back. So protein is built up by building blocks called amino acids. And there are nine essential amino acids. So essential, if you hear essential before a nutrient, it means that our body can't make it. So we must eat it through our diet. So there's nine essential amino acids that we must eat. And all nine exist in plants. They just exist in varying proportions and in and varying quantities. So as long as we're eating a diverse diet, which The last podcast, if you haven't listened to it, have a listen because we talked about how diversity is the biggest predictor of health. So we want to be eating as diverse a diet, as many different plants as possible, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, seeds, herbs, sprouts, everything. Um, Yeah, as long as you're eating a diverse diet and as long as you're also eating enough, you will get all of the protein you need, you'll easily meet your protein needs. And in fact, recently, I was curious about this because I I never track anymore. And I just out of curiosity was like, I wonder how much protein I ate today. And I was shocked at how much it added up. So really, you will have no concerns. Yeah, I, I actually wrote a blog on this. I'll definitely link it that breaks down it just gives an example of a woman her body weight the calories she needs and just breaks it down like how much protein you need and then how much plants Mm -hmm. provide and like you said as long as you're eating enough and you're eating whole foods whole whole plant-based foods then yeah you'll for sure be getting the amount of protein you need because if they're processed a lot of processed foods they'll strip away the nutrients, protein included. So that mm-hmm. could result in obviously a lower overall protein intake. But right. yeah, it's impossible for you to be protein deficient unless you are calorie deficient. Calorie deficient, exactly. Yeah, plants, they have so, all the protein you need. And some 
really rich sources, just in case anybody is wondering, because obviously certain plants have more protein than others. So some of the richest sources are legumes, which include tofu and tempeh. So tofu and tempeh come from soybeans. So always make sure that you are choosing organic or non-GMO sources since soybeans are a genetically modified crop. Um, And then legumes also include all the different types of beans, which you can make so many delicious meals with. Quinoa is a really great source. Nuts are a great source. I don't know about you, but I'm such a peanut butter addict. So I'm sure I get like half of my protein needs a danger <laughs> from peanut butter. <laughs> and That's then, so yeah, I just eat it with a spoon. <laughs> and then brown rice is really <laughs> oats. Spirulina is also a really concentrated protein source, which you can add to your smoothies. Um, it's also very alkalinizing and detoxifying. So that's a blue-green algae in case anybody is wondering that they turn into a green powder. Yeah, it's really, it's it's everywhere. But just including some of those more rich sources as, a, as maybe a staple in every meal, then you don't have to think about anything else because it adds up a few grams here, three grams in a cup of kale, um, maybe one or one and a half grams in a banana. And before you know it, you've met or surpassed your needs. And so when you're working with clients, do you, like, what if they ask you, but how many grams of protein do I need? And what percentage of my diet should be protein? Yeah. Do you recommend always, certain levels? They always ask, <laughs> especially the guys yeah. who work out. <laughs> That's the top concern. Oh, and adding on to that. Yeah, adding on to what if I'm an athlete? What if I work out? Yeah, totally. Um, so, okay. So like you said, check out check out Ali's blog because I feel like you've broken it down if somebody wants to see it visually. But generally, I can just sort of talk about protein needs per body weight. So for an inactive male, and this is an adult, you would need around 0.38 grams per pound. And then for an inactive female, 0.34 grams per pound. So based on your body weight, you just plug this in and calculate your protein needs per day. And then, of course, as you become more active, you your protein needs will increase. Um, I actually recently researched kind of a healthy upper limit because there are negative outcomes associated with increased protein. Like we said, high animal protein is related to IGF-1 and negative health outcomes connected to that. But I've recently been hearing a little bit about potential negative health outcomes, even in terms of eating purely plant-based protein. And what I've found is for active individuals, athletes, even high intensity, high endurance, professional athletes, the upper limit that's recommended to avoid health risks associated with the growth hormones related to cancer and accelerated aging is 25% of total calories. So you do not want to surpass 25% protein in your macronutrient breakdown. Oh yeah, that's actually so interesting because yeah, I've heard so much about why animal protein is bad. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was actually trying to find information on, like you said, the upper limit of 
plant-based protein. And to be honest, I feel like it would be hard to go over the upper limit unless you're taking plant-based protein supplements. Yeah. Because naturally plant-based proteins like wouldn't have say 50% protein. But yeah, I'm just curious to know where you found that information. Cause yeah, I definitely yeah. want to learn so, more about that. So the 25% upper limit, um, I found on Simon Hill's website. So he wrote a blog about protein needs and associated health risks. So yeah, that was on his website. And I definitely trust him as he is a science-based man and really bases all of his blogs and advice on scientific studies and credible ones as well. So that's where I found that one. And then I also oh, yeah, well, definitely. link, yeah, we can link that. And also, have you heard of that, yeah. Nimai Delgado, the vegan bodybuilder? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've recently discovered his podcast and I was having a little browse through his website the other day. And um, I found a little video where he was talking all about protein. Of course, he's like, super muscular and has such a great physique and can bulk up or lean down when he's competing. He's all natural as well. And he actually said that anything, any ratio above 1.8 grams per kilogram, I guess he's American, so he does kilograms, um, but anything above 1.8 grams per kilogram did not show any benefit to building muscle or building strength. And that was founded on a meta-analysis, he mentioned. So I found that to be really interesting too. And he said that in the bodybuilding world, even just in kind of like the general gym world or athletic world, the general ideology is like the more, the better. But really, that's proven to be, it's proven to be quite the opposite. The more isn't the better. The more is associated with health risks and no benefits to strength or the building of muscle it seems yeah i i also read i sent you this article link it as well the one by dr Furman. i believe it's called getting pumped safely on plants and he <laughs> mentions that excess protein isn't even stored as protein in the body it's just stored as body fat mm, yeah so i remember that it's like you only need the amount of acids that are required to rebuild your muscles after exactly. breaking them down during exercise so yeah, it's not really more is better. It's just you need the amount that you need. Yeah, quality and over quantity. Yes, quality. And like we said, think about that that scale, bringing it back to homeostasis, the tipping totally. point. Like the health. You just yeah. need to get amino acids, so might as well get them from the best sources that have all these benefits, right? Totally. And going off of that, in terms of building muscle and, um, you know, being an athlete and wanting to be in your best physical condition, eating plants and getting your protein sources from plants promotes quicker recovery time as well. So it's anti-inflammatory. It's very healing. So like you said, it's, it's the bigger picture. You're getting the protein you need, but you're also benefiting your body. I've heard a lot from various plant-based athletes that when they made the shift, they found their recovery times were so much quicker. They were able to train so much harder and they had bigger gains, as they say. I've never used that word in my life, <laughs> but that's what they <laughs> That's why I whispered it. That's so funny. But um, 
there's that pretty new documentary game changers that's good and then also i mentioned last part of this podcast that thrive diet by brendan brazier was the book that actually inspired me to go fully plant-based and he wrote one called thrive fitness too and so he was an ironman athlete and so he really like he's coming at it from an athletic perspective so if you want to learn more about protein athletics that's a really good resource Mm -hmm. and yeah also I did want to mention a lot of people are concerned about getting more protein if they are athletic but like we said you you're not gonna be protein deficient unless you're calorie deficient and if you just think about it say you're say you're a distance runner you go on a run and burn a thousand more calories then you're gonna have to replenish with a thousand calories and if you eat whole foods that are about 10% protein, you're going to get 25 grams about extra protein. So it's like you, you're more active, you eat more, you get more protein naturally. Mm So honestly, there's, you really don't have to worry about it. Totally. And I feel like if you are making the switch and maybe tracking at the beginning, um, like we mentioned, once you get the hang of it, you, it just becomes so natural and you you know that you're meeting all your needs. But if you are tracking at the beginning, it can just give you a little bit of extra reassurance to see, wow, I really am getting what I need. You also, if you are, you know, doing really intense or high endurance sports, you do have the option to add like a really good quality plant-based protein powder to maybe a smoothie. But I really only would recommend that to somebody who, like you said, is struggling to meet their calorie needs, I would never recommend it if somebody is easily meeting their calorie needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's so many clean plant based protein options like hemp protein or Mm -hmm. pumpkin seed protein. (laughs) Um, So yeah, like you said, you really don't need them. Uh, I've heard too, even some plant based doctors say the only time they would ever have it is if they were finding it was hard to get enough calories after like a really really long run or something but it's yeah it's it's not really something that's essential and you might as well just eat the whole food (laughs) yeah exactly that's the thing it's I find protein powder is kind of associated with being a health food um, and it can definitely be beneficial if somebody is working out really intensely and needs that replenishment like we mentioned in order to meet their protein needs but when we take a step back and look at it, it's not a whole food. It's it's isolated. The protein has been isolated from the whole food, which comes in its perfect balance with antioxidants, with vitamins, minerals, fiber. So yeah, use it if you need to as a little extra boost. But for the average person, and even for somebody who works out moderately, you know, is pretty active, really healthy and fit, I don't think that it would be necessary whatsoever. And whole foods easily do the trick with protein. It's protein is just talked about so much, but we need to just let it drift away from our minds. (laughs) Yeah, like you don't, you don't have to worry. And oh, like, I like how you mentioned, though, you can track it at the beginning. So Mm -hmm. I really love the app chronometer because it's not just an app that shows you your macronutrients so your carbohydrates fats protein intake but it shows you all of the amino acids all of the essential vitamins and minerals 
So this can be a really useful tool if you're just transitioning your diet and you're a little worried, am I getting all the nutrients I need? So yeah, not even doing it every day religiously, but it's just a really good tool to like get to know plant-based foods. And then it honestly becomes second nature. I find it's just, yeah, yeah, like I said, a good tool just to make sure you're, you're feeling good about the decisions you're making. Yeah, it gets you on the right track and, and just gets you familiar with which foods have which macro and micronutrients, like you said. And that's awesome. I haven't all try using that, but that would be really interesting to actually see all of the vitamin and amino acid breakdown as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And next question is, uh, but aren't there too many carbs on a plant-based <laughs> diet? <laughs> oh my gosh, I love carbs. <laughs> but this is also such a common question. <laughs> such a common question so again it seems like the media has made carbs out to be like this villain or an unhealthy um yeah just something really negative and I guess we have to maybe we should define carbs before we talk about them so I find when my clients ask me about carbs they are specifically thinking in their mind about like refined bread and pasta and potatoes and cookies and pretty much refined refined carbs so food that's processed of course it is still a carbohydrate um carbs is actually an umbrella term so it's a macronutrient and it actually covers there are car- so there are carbohydrates in all foods so even taking another step back there are carbohydrates protein, and fats in all foods, just in various ratios. So foods that are considered to be carbs have all three, but they're primarily made up of carbohydrates. They have the highest percentage of this. So when I think of carbs, I think of beautiful whole fruits, of vegetables, of whole grains, which have prebiotics for healthy gut health. So yeah, I've just totally re- framed my association with carbs as whole carbohydrates that are our energy are sorry our body's preferred energy source they fuel our body they fuel our brain we need them to live and to thrive so if you're scared of carbohydrates please take a step back and yeah just listen to this little chat or message Ali or myself because we would love to help you reframe your relationship with carbs. They are truly in their whole form, the healthiest food to fuel our body. And they're so rich in fiber, which is a huge, the biggest predictor of gut health. We mentioned in the the last podcast, gut health is associated with immunity. 70% of our immune system lives in our gut. It is associated with serotonin production, which makes us feel happy. It is a predictor for so many chronic diseases. So carbohydrates are amazing. Eat the carbs in their whole form. (laughs) Did I answer your question, my dear? Definitely. Sorry, I went on it like a a carb-loving rant. (laughs) 
I know carbs, carbs are amazing. And I'm glad that you sort of broke it down, like the, the different types of carbs. Um, because mm-hmm. yeah, I think we really just need to reframe it as are these whole, whole food carbs or are they processed carbs? Totally. Like, totally. Same goes for the sorry. other macronutrients as well. Like you said, are these refined or are these processed? So we could eat fat in the form of in the form of oil. Even a vegan butter, like it's made up of oil, right? Yeah. Or we can eat a beautiful avocado or hemp hearts or Brazil nuts. Like it's mm-hmm. all about is the food whole or not. The rest are really just labels, which can be helpful in kind of learning the basics and figuring out what balance works best for your body. But I love what you said, Ali. It's asking, is this a whole food or is this a refined food? So instead of thinking of carbs as good or bad, we should be asking, is this a whole food or is this a refined food? Will this help my body thrive or will this promote disease and illness? Yeah. And that was another common question as well, actually, because in the plant-based movement, a lot of people talk about um, whole food, plant-based, like all these sort of terms, labels, like high Mm -hmm. carb, low fat, um, no oil, no SOS. (laughs) So sugar, (laughs) oil, salt free, but oil. (laughs) Oh, have you not heard this one? There's a hashtag SOS, sugar, oil, salt. No, like SOS free, sugar, sugar, oil, salt. Oh yeah, there's just this whole, if you get into this lifestyle and you're on Instagram, you'll like come across all these different things. But a big thing is no oil. And a Mm -hmm. lot of, like we we spoke a bit about um, Dr. Esselstein has some amazing research on this topic. His book, How to Prevent and Reverse Heart, talks about it a lot. But yeah, I get get this question. You definitely get it. Mm -hmm. What is wrong with oil? Okay, so back to the whole whole foods conversation. Um, Let's take olive oil, for example. When you pick an olive from a tree, that olive is a whole food. It has, of course, a fat component, but that comes along with vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, which are antioxidants, and of course, fiber. So this olive is created in the perfect package, the perfect balance, and our body knows exactly how to process and incorporate these nutrients. Now let's look at olive oil. So an olive is picked from a tree, it's blended and then pressed to extract just the fat component. What we're left with is a food that is 100% fat, almost completely devoid of all of its vitamin content, as well as fiber. This really doesn't exist in nature, and our body has a hard time recognizing as well as incorporating it. So when we bring it back to basics and just think about, does this food exist in nature, and how will our body process it? How, what use is it to our body? The answer is kind of there and it becomes, it's just about, yeah, going back to the simplest form. I find the answers are always a lot simpler than we make it out to be. We can get so confused and complicate things, but really when we come back to mother nature, everything is quite simple. 
That's so true. Yeah, just thinking about how nature designed things perfectly for us to consume. Like we are part of nature. So yeah, just going back to basics, eating the whole foods. Um, But that being said, uh, Mm -hmm. we're both such science nerds (laughs) and it's cool to like the exact levels of nutrients in olives versus olive oil so I wanted to share another blog I wrote Um, it's about oil and I actually gave an example and related it back to our last conversation where we talked about you know nutrient density and calorie density Mm -hmm. so olive oil has like you said there's way less nutrients Mm -hmm. um and then it's also lower volume of food right so you're not going to feel as full it's like the infographic we talked about last time on forks over knives like how much it'll fill up your stomach um I, i actually took a photo of how one tablespoon of oil looks compared to the same amount of calories in plant based foods It's just so interesting to look at the exact numbers. But then, like you said, at the end of the day, just bring it back to basics. Is it a whole food? Is it in nature? Just like trust Mother Nature, like you said. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I'm curious now to do a comparison. Like one tablespoon of olive oil has this many calories versus let's find a food that has the same Um, amount of calories. To like show like creative. Oh no, that's what I did on my blog. Oh, you did that. I did. Oh wait, wait. Okay, I'll send you the link. Yeah, send it. Okay, it's called the truth about oil. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is so interesting, though. I I literally was mind blown at this comparison. I actually put it into chronometer right before we talked to see if I made a mistake because for the same amount of calories in one one tablespoon of olive oil has 120 calories you could have that a tablespoon of olive oil like would it fill you up but for 120 calories you can also have a cup of kale half a cup of carrots half a cup of cucumbers a quarter cup of quinoa and one small tomato literally I plugged this in three times because I I couldn't believe it but yeah a cup of kale has like seven calories a quarter cup of quinoa like cooked quinoa has like 50 calories a small tomato I don't know it was something like under 20 um, but it's just mind blowing how much more you can eat that if you're eating whole foods. So... And then, yeah, so I used tahini and sesame oil as a comparison for like a salad dressing. And you can see, first of all, you can have more tahini per calorie if you're having tahini instead of sesame oil because there's the fiber in there that bulks it up. Mm-hmm. So you can actually have a third tablespoon more per tablespoon of sesame oil. And yeah, you get fiber, iron, calcium, protein, and it's it's all just stripped away in the sesame oil. It's, it's exactly. literally just fat. That comes back to the nutritarian. Exactly. Like eating, getting the most, um, the biggest bang for your buck. <laughs> another expression I've never said. I was trying to think of another, another expression you've never said. <laughs> That's the best way to say it. So not me. Biggest bang for your back. It's true though. <laughs> it's true. And even with, I feel like, especially because obviously such a big proportion of the Western world is overweight and being overweight is a risk factor for so many different chronic illnesses in itself. Just having that awareness of oil and 
the comparison of you can either have one tablespoon of oil or you can have everything you mentioned, half a cup of carrots, a cup of kale, half a cup of quinoa. It just shows you kind of, yeah, oil is just, it's a filler. And I feel like it kind of sabotages people on their, you know, they're trying so hard to be healthy and to do right for their body. Um, But unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation about about oil as well. So many articles about how healthy the Mediterranean diet is. And of course, it's healthier than a standard American diet without question. But like you said, oil is stripped. It's, we're not getting much from it other than calories. And then maybe a few little health benefits here and there, but in comparison to whole, whole foods, again, back to our little scale, our little scale of health. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I I love that you mentioned the Mediterranean diet because a lot of people say that. Um, But yeah, it's like these studies often compare the standard North American diet to the Mediterranean diet. And yeah, of course, if you're not having the like highly, highly processed trans fats, processed Mm -hmm. carbs, like it's it's definitely a better diet. But we're just, yeah, talking about the scale, like optimal health. Like it's not, it's not a whole food. It's less processed than some other forms of Mm -hmm. fats, but Mm -hmm. yeah, like you said. Totally. And in terms of being practical with it, so what I do is I try not to, so I don't cook with oil at all anymore. Like I've learned techniques to cook really deliciously without oil. So for example, to make potato wedges, which I love, I boil them first and then let them cool and then bake them in the oven. And no oil needed. You just season them with a little bit of salt, pepper, some fresh rosemary. We have a beautiful rosemary bush outside. And they become so crispy and delicious. And you realize that you don't even, after a while, you don't even miss the oil anymore. I feel like I had them with oil at a friend's house. And I realized that I prefer them without. Um, And the other bonus with that way of cooking as well is it increases the resistant starch, which feeds the good bacteria in our gut. So that's just one way to cook without oil. For sauteing, you just heat a pan up really high and then add on your onions or your veggies and continuously stir them until they caramelize and then add a little touch of water or if you're seasoning with another liquid like lemon juice or tamari and you realize that we don't need oil. It's It doesn't really infuse that much flavor and once you remove it from from the diet, it actually feels and tastes really heavy and not so nice, I find at least. Yeah, yeah. I've heard people saute with uh, veggie broth too, if you just have that yes, sitting in yes. the fridge. And like you said, it you, you find things just taste kind of heavy and mm-hmm. not as good, like the more you eat oil-free. Yep. Exact same principle to removing, you know, dairy or meat. Your taste buds change. And I find that you can actually taste the flavors of the ingredients instead of the ingredients being masked by, you know, heavy, like back when we we used to eat cheese, cheese could make anything taste good, but you weren't tasting the actual ingredients, like the stars of the dish. So I find it's, it's just so much more beautiful now to taste the veggies and you're trying so many different veggies too. It just lets you be a lot more creative in the kitchen. But then when I eat out at restaurants, which, to be honest, is pretty rarely, um, especially nowadays, of course. But um, even before all the lockdowns, I 
I didn't eat out too often, but when I do, I don't worry about it. I just enjoy the experience and yeah, a little bit, a little bit here and there is okay. Yeah, like not being stressed about it or being a perfectionist because stress isn't good for your health either. So that's a good way to look at it. Just, yeah, doing what you can to cook oil-free at home. And then, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if there's like a bit of plant oil in your food at a restaurant, it's like, it's not all the time. So yeah, exactly. I don't even ask. I just am like, okay, I'm going out. I'm going to enjoy and have fun and Mm -hmm. fine. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And so this question is pretty related to because we're talking about oil, talking about fat. So a question that is often asked when people transition is, am I eating too much fat? Because there are a lot of nuts and seeds, like nut right. butters have a lot of fats, even though it's healthy fat. Right. Um, I think the amount of fat that anybody ideally will be eating is very dependent on their body, on their activity level, their lifestyle. So we talked about it a little bit in the last podcast, but a whole food plant-based diet, it has what it has in common is that it's founded on foods from nature. So all of the foods that we're eating are health promoting. Of course, there's going to be a general guideline. Like we said, with protein, you don't want to surpass 25% or there are negative health outcomes. With carbohydrates, they are our primary source of energy and calories. So they're going to make up the bulk of our diet, of our macronutrient ratio. And then with fat, it really, it's almost like you, you eat and you figure out what works best for you. So I never recommend a very strict macronutrient breakdown. Um, It's true that nuts... Oh, yes, that's another question. (laughs) Sorry, let's clump these questions together. That's the next question. Okay. After talking about carb, protein, and fat, what, what should my macronutrient ratio be? Yeah, so like I said, it will vary from person to person. Um, I definitely eat And as I mentioned, everybody would be eating the highest amount of carbs because they are our body's primary energy source. Protein, keep it under 25% as the research states. And then with fat, it will just fall into place and make up the rest of the percentage. And yeah, once, once you start eating this way, once you start experimenting with different recipes, different balances, I find your body tells you what works best for you. So for me, at least, I feel the best when I eat a high percentage of raw fruits and veggies. Um, I usually do cooked for dinner, but that's just what works for me. I've tried eating so many different ways. I've tried adding in lots of avocados and lots of nuts to try and boost up my fats a little bit. I've tried boosting up my protein a little bit. But when when I'm eating fresh and nutrient-rich and... I love my fruits, as you know, that's what makes me feel the best. So we can read and we can research, but there's also a lot to be learned from the way our body feels and what our body is communicating to us once we've returned to nature. So once we're actually back in homeostasis, like you said, we're fueling our bodies and nourishing our bodies with whole healthy foods, 
then our body can lead the way and tell us what works best for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I find it so good just to listen to your body and that we talked about this in the last episode too of it, that when you start eating more whole foods, you really get more in touch with your body and you can really listen to what it needs. Um, Yeah, and tracking the certain ratios, like I guess it's a it's good to have a general understanding of like eating carbs so you can fuel yourself getting the right amount of protein, but like having those mm-hmm. really, really specific numbers, right. like it, it's just focus on eating whole foods. <laughs> exactly. Focus on eating whole foods. Exactly. Um, and then another thing to mention with nuts and seeds as well is they are a worrisome food to some people because they are known to have a high fat content, but just like we mentioned with the sugar and fruits, the fat in nuts and seeds is coming along with so many other things. It's coming along with the fiber, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants. So that's completely different. Eating nuts and seeds is eating a whole food. Your body is receiving so many health benefits from it, not just the 100% fat that would be in olive oil, for example. So Enjoy your nuts and seeds. Um, They're also a great source of certain important nutrients, like Brazil nuts, for example, are one of the richest sources of selenium. So around two Brazil nuts a day, we were chatting about this before, but it obviously depends on the quality of the soil and the mineral content of the soil. But Brazil nuts, one to two a day, provide our selenium needs, which is related to thyroid function. So yeah, nuts and seeds can be feared for their fat content, but they are a health food and they kind of fall at the top of the plant-based food pyramid. So all of our beautiful leafy greens are at the bottom. Then our fruits and veggies are the next step up. Then our whole grains and legumes And then at the very top would be our healthy fats. And as we said, the balance comes and our body, our body figures it out. For sure. And yeah, it's so interesting about Brazil nuts. They're such a powerhouse of selenium. Yeah. People often have questions about different micronutrients as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So a big question, first of all, is do I need to take supplements? Yeah. Great question. So The only supplement that you must take when eating a plant-based diet is B12. And I guess we'll start with why B12 is so important. So it keeps our nerves healthy. Um, When our body becomes deficient in B12 over time, it can lead to nerve damage. So it's something that you don't want to risk whatsoever. And our body can actually store B12 for many years after adopting a plant-based diet So the blood work in the initial years might be coming back as adequate, but that doesn't mean that your body is producing or that you're getting it through your diet. It just means that you're drawing from your stores. So just making sure to cover your bases and take a B12 supplement from, yeah, you don't have to take it right away. As I said, there's going to be so many things to think about when switching to a plant-based diet. So your stores will be fine for that initial shift. But once you're comfy in your lifestyle, implement a B12 supplement. And B12 comes from microorganisms in the soil. So these microorganisms 
we used to get them actually just from eating fresh veggies from the earth. We'd eat the micro microorganisms. You know, there'd be a little tiny bit of dirt on our beautiful organic veggies. Or I've heard that we used to get it from the drinking water as well, which is obviously now chlorinated and chemically treated. So B12 doesn't actually come from animals or plants. It comes from the microorganisms. And the reason why animals can create it is because these microorganisms can live inside their bodies. They have a symbiotic relationship with the animal. So the animal feeds them through what they're eating, and then the organisms produce B12. But also, I've heard that especially lately, animals, they're given B12 supplements as well. So it's often an argument against a plant-based diet, B12, like, oh, if, if the plant-based diet was so complete, you wouldn't have to take B12. But people don't know that they're actually taking the supplement inadvertently through the animal because the soil and the microorganisms mm-hmm. these days are so depleted. It's so mind-blowing. So just take the bloody supplement for, for yourself and leave the poor animal out of it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's so mind-blowing. It's, it's just so interesting. People think that they're getting it, the B12 from the animal, but it's actually mm-hmm. from the supplement the animal ate. So we might as well just take the supplement ourselves so we don't have to eat the animal that ate the supplement. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yes, so B12 is is 100% necessary. Um, 250 micrograms daily, or I guess you could take a bigger supplement once a week, but I always recommend taking it daily just because it allows your body kind of more leeway to absorb. Sometimes your body can only absorb a certain amount. And then with B12, it's a water soluble. So your body will pee out the rest. So if you are taking a B12 and your pee turns out to be a little bit bright yellow, that's okay. It's just your body um, excreting excess that it can absorb. And then another supplement, oh, and sorry, I'll just mention the form that I recommend. So cyanocobalamin is the form that science has, um, I guess that has been studied the most and has been proven to have the most benefits. It breaks down into two various forms, which then address different functions that B12 um, is necessary for within the body. So cyanocobalamin, if for some reason your body does have an issue breaking it down into those two forms, you can always take a methylcobalamin and then the additional form, which I can't remember the name of, but we can we can look it up and then link it if you'd like in the notes. And then another supplement that I recommend, but is absolutely possible to get through diet is omega-3 in the form of algae oil. So first we'll, I'll start by saying, if you're eating chia, flax, and hemp on a daily basis, you are getting omega-3s. Um, your body just has to convert the form that they're in into the form our body can use. But if you are eating those foods in abundance, you should be okay. If you have, if you know, if you struggle to include them daily, then definitely recommend taking an algae oil. And again, omega-3s are always associated with eating fish. So fish is said to be so healthy because 
it's rich in omega-3s. But where do fish get it? They get it from algae. So again, let's just remove the middleman, remove all of the toxins and the heavy metals and the the environmental degradation, the impact on the ocean that comes with fishing and eating fish and just go to the algae. It's, it's grown in a controlled environment. It's pure and it is in the form EPA and DHA that our body needs. So it is very bioavailable and easy. Just pop it. No fishy tastes like fish oils have. Um, and then vitamin D as well is a, the third kind of trifecta. And that's also only if you live somewhere where you have inadequate exposure to sun because our skin can synthesize vitamin D with sunlight. So they say about 30 minutes of unprotected exposure a day, but depending on where you live in the world, adequate exposure will only fall within certain times. So just based on where you live, do a little bit of research to make sure that you're getting, you're meeting your vitamin D needs. I know in Canada, at least, they assume everybody is vitamin D deficient regardless of what diet you're eating. So you either yeah. <laughs> get a bit of sun. Obviously, we want to be protecting our skin as well. But um, vitamin D, you can take a D2 or a, or a vegan D3. And D3 is a little bit easier for our bodies to absorb. But make sure that it is vegan because otherwise they source it from, I believe, sheep's wool lanolin yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and it's definitely important to check the labels on the supplements just to make sure they are vegan because yeah there's a lot of animal-based supplements absolutely and then so yes those three are good to supplement but then also common questions Mm -hmm. are how do i get calcium how do i get iron yeah um so Okay, this is why I I mentioned the Whole Foods Pyramid before, just really quickly, but to expand on it a little bit, I have it up on my website. So I'll send you the link if you wanted to include it. But there's a reason why the base of the pyramid, so we want to be eating the most leafy greens. And that's because leafy greens truly fall into every nutrient category. So they're such an amazing source for almost every nutrient. So calcium, for example, leafy greens are an incredible source of calcium. Great sources are also tofu and tempeh. Tahini, you mentioned, which is an amazing base for salad dressings, kidney beans, even blackberries. So there's plenty of calcium options. Um, And then what else did you mention? What other nutrient? Um, iron. How do I mean iron? Iron. Aren't yes. vegans iron deficient? <laughs> okay, so funny. I was iron deficient my entire in my entire twenty teens and twenties until I became plant based, and I have never had issues with iron since. I love telling people wow. that. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So again, really great source of iron is our leafy greens. Legumes are also an amazing source, like lentils, and then even peaches and apricots have a nice amount of iron. So again, very easy to achieve with diversity. It's all about diversity, eating lots of different foods to cover your bases and meet all of your macro and micronutrient needs. 
yeah, greens, lentils, so nutrient dense, so rich in iron. And another question. Okay, so I know I need to eat this variety of plant-based foods, but isn't this really expensive? Oh my goodness. Okay, so eating plant-based can actually be very inexpensive. And it comes back to our favorite whole foods again. So when we're sticking to fruits and veggies and letting go of the meat and the cheese, which are can be quite expensive, quite expensive foods, you'll find that your grocery bill can actually improve. So of course, some of the processed vegan products can be really expensive, but we don't want to be eating those anyways. So stick to the produce section, stick to the fruits and veggies. Buying bulk for whole grains and legumes is also a really great way to save money. And then a few money-saving tips. So of course, whole foods over processed foods will be huge. I always recommend to shop in season because these these foods are often less expensive, but they're also more nutrient dense. So they've they've usually traveled a smaller distance. They're local and they're richer in nutrients, which is a beautiful bonus. And then a huge help to me has been the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15, which are two lists by the Environmental Working Group that they come out with every year and they list the top foods that ha- that use the most chemicals and then the top foods. So those are the dirty foods and then the top foods, which are the cleanest. And of course, organic foods are more expensive. So you can really just focus on choosing organic for the dirty dozen and the clean 15, you can buy conventional and you know that you're, you're going to be pretty okay health wise. And I know you mentioned this last time and I absolutely loved it, but shifting to a plant-based diet, whether it's organic or not, it can be completely non-organic. You will still receive amazing health benefits. It is still the healthiest way to eat, whether organic or not. Of course, organic is another step by removing pesticides, chemicals, endocrine disruptors, but eating conventional fruits and veggies, they still have all of those amazing healing properties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Better to eat your fruits and veggies than to not eat them at all. Totally. Um, Do you have... Yeah, I'll definitely... Oh, yeah. Um, So yeah, like those are all amazing tips. And I was going to say, I'll I'll definitely post a link to the Clean 15 and Dirty Dozen because that's that's such a good list to have on hand. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and then also in general, I feel like vegan or omnivore like you could make your diet really cheap or really expensive if you want you know like you could get totally like you said all the processed plant or even like gourmet raw vegan snacks that are really expensive um or yeah you can stick to the produce aisle and get the whole foods like you said shop Mm -hmm. in bulk that's awesome too and even just having a bit of a plan um just in general for any type of grocery shopping you're doing, maybe planning out what meals you want to make so that you'll save money by not getting things you don't need or not, or forgetting about things in your fridge, letting them go to waste. Just simple things like making a list, finding the cheapest stores in your area. Um, there's tons of ways to yeah save money on your grocery bill. So true. I love that tip about planning and 
it's amazing for reducing food waste as well. And that's that it actually does add up. That helps you to save a lot of money and is helpful to the environment too. Oh yeah. And then this is another topic, but there's so many great resources on how to reduce food waste. And for example, just like if you see your bananas are going to expire, freeze them right away or yeah. go bad, freeze them right away so you can make banana ice cream. Even you can do that with lentils and stuff too. If you made some lentils, they're in the fridge, they're going to spoil, like throw them in the freezer, make a soup with them later. So yeah, just researching little tricks like that just to yeah, totally. be more sustainable, save money. I know, I know mm. with me too, what really helps is when my fridge is organized. So when it's a big disaster and there's like Tupperwares everywhere and I've just thrown things in. I always forget about food that's in the back, but when it's nice and organized and I have my veggie shelf and my fruit shelf, I know exactly what I have and I don't forget about anything. So I find that helps me to use everything as well and to, to make sure I'm not wasting. Oh, yes. I'm all about kitchen organization. So true. <laughs> and the last question we have is, is it hard socially? We we did talk about this a bit in the last, uh, how do I say it? In part one of this. Part one. This podcast. But is it hard socially? We We spoke a bit about family, but I'm talking more about, I guess, just friends, social life. And how do I eat out? How can I go to restaurants? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did talk about it a bit last time. And I think it's really as easy or hard as you believe it'll be. So it's definitely about your attitude and how you're going into it. Um, something I loved that we talked about last time was bringing a dish to share with others so it's such a nice way to include friends or family in your lifestyle change and to just share delicious food and to share something that you've made with love with them can be a really nice, gentle way for them to be introduced to what you're doing. So I really love that as a tip. I think you mentioned that last time. And then in terms of eating out, I have a few tips that I find can be really helpful. So number one is I always check out the menu ahead of time. And that's regardless of whether I'm picking the restaurant or if someone is, or if it's a vegan restaurant or a non-vegan, I always just have a little look at the menu, see what my options are, just so I'm prepared. Sometimes if there aren't tons of plant-based options, I'll call the restaurant and just really kindly or gently ask them, hey, I'm just wondering, um, is the chef able to do modifications? Do you guys have any plant-based options? And I find, especially nowadays, a lot of the time, they actually have a full, a lot of restaurants have a full vegan menu, but it's just maybe not on their main website. So calling can be really helpful. And then when you're there, don't be shy to ask questions. Just remember to be really kind and gentle, but sometimes your server might not be super familiar with what plant-based food is or all of the specifics that it entails. So yeah, just ask very specific questions, which will actually, you know, make their job a lot easier and they'll appreciate. So specifically, there's sometimes dairy is hidden in dressings or sauces. Um, I find with Thai dishes, there can be seafood sauce and a big one is with pad thai. Even when I've asked for vegan, sometimes eggs get snuck in. So just, yeah, you just learn little tricks and you'll just say, hey, can I have the pad thai, 
plant-based with no eggs and then things run smoothly. And of course, no matter what happens, always be kind and relaxed. You know, you can only do your best and you want to give the plant-based world a good name as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are all awesome tips. And there's also some really great resources out there too that you can use. Um, so you're definitely familiar with Happy Cow, right? Yes, Happy Cow. Yeah, it, it lists, it's a big directory. It's international, worldwide. It lists all the vegan, vegetarian, vegan-friendly restaurants and even health food stores and cafes. So that is really good to get to know the vegan restaurants in your area, but also if you're traveling. And I also came across some really good resources. It's like a, I think there's a vegan travel book and also just a PDF that you can print out that gives questions in so many different languages. So it'll, it just gives you a little flashcard that's like, um, I'm vegan. I eat this, 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 and this. I don't eat this. So you can just have it in your wallet. And when you go out to whatever country you're in, you can, yeah, give them the little card in that language just that's to make so sure. Cause cute. I know that's another <laughs> challenge. That language barrier can make it really difficult to tell people what you eat and don't eat. So I love those two after yeah, travel. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so cute. You can just carry a little card around with you. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, we answered so many questions about veganism, plant-based living. Do you have any other final tips you want to share about the plant-based lifestyle in general? Absolutely. So I feel like people who start eating plant-based and start on this journey, the reason why we become so passionate is because we not only experience the health benefits and feel truly amazing and are so full of energy and life, but it also just gives us this lighter and more beautiful view of the world and of all the creatures in it. And yeah, I just feel like that's why it, it truly is a lifestyle. Of course, it centers around food and the health benefits are such a huge reason why anybody would be interested in adopting this lifestyle. But In addition to that, there's so many beautiful little surprises that you'll experience. And I would recommend just taking the smallest baby steps and yeah, just doing something to love yourself and the world will love you back. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, just (laughs) really focusing on the journey. And yeah, it's all it's all about love, self-love and love for your planet the animals for the environment just just in general yeah having a great healthy super holistic lifestyle yeah yeah exactly and also there's so much info out there so i feel it can be really easy to get overwhelmed but just take it one day at a time you know take it one step at a time and just be proud of yourself for trying perfection Forget about perfection. Perfection doesn't exist. Every, like we said, every food you eat, just go back to the basics. Just ask, is this food promoting my health and my happiness? Or is this food promoting disease or illness? And when you just bring it back to that basic question, it becomes super simple. So back to basics, you have the intuitive knowledge and you have the love inside you. 
you'll be just fine. Yeah, that's an amazing way to end things off. Just like we definitely dove into so much science research, but it's it's all so interesting and fascinating, but it really is quite simple. Like you said, once you take a step back. So yeah, that's such a great way to end things off. Just remembering to listen to your body, trust the process, and just focus on that simple question. Like you said, is it is it whole? Is it supporting my health? Does it make me feel good and authentically mm-hmm. nourished and thriving? Love it. Yeah. Beautiful. So thank you so, so, so much. Thank this has you. been such an incredible conversation. Honestly, we covered so much. I'm I'm just so excited to share this second half of the conversation. Thank you, Ali. I love chatting with you. Yeah, we'll definitely have to record more podcasts in the future. Oh, yeah. And yeah, if anyone has any questions at all, reach out to both of us. As you can tell, we love talking about this stuff. So (laughs) yeah. Thanks, Ali. Thank you. That was part two of my conversation with Julia. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you learned a lot. You'll find tons of resources in the show notes, so be sure to check those out if you want to further explore the topics we discussed. I've left links to the studies, videos, books, and blogs that we mentioned, and you'll find links to the delicious plant-based dairy alternatives that we talked about too. Oh, and remember to use my vegan filter on Instagram and tag both of us. We so want to see which vegan food are you. I've left a link to that as well. And if you have any other questions at all, please feel free to reach out to me and Julia. We would both absolutely love to talk to you about plant-based nutrition, plant-based living, and we are always here to support you on your plant-based journey. You'll find a link to Julia's website and Instagram so that you can connect with her and be sure to check out her blog as well. She has some great resources for learning more about the plant-based diet and some amazing recipes too. Once again, I hope you enjoyed the conversation and remember to subscribe and share this episode with anyone in your life who's interested in going plant-based or who already is plant-based but would love to learn more about the science behind the diet. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.